Thanks for joining us today. I'm Rob Parker, lead pastor at The Plant Church. Our vision is to know Christ and make him known. If you are interested in getting connected or if we can help you in any way, email us at info at theplantchurch.org. have your Bibles open, open up to Luke chapter 2. We're, we're going to uh, be in a, a lot of different scripture this morning. We're going to bounce around, but we'll, we'll camp there a little bit for uh, the first part of the message. Uh, but it's really good to see all of you here. Again, as Megan said, I really want to encourage you, if you can come next Sunday night to our encounter night, as we're kind of wrapping this DNA series It is going to be a really powerful evening together, lots more time to spend in prayer uh, together for needs in our community, uh, in worship. It's going to be great, and I don't want to misspeak, but is there child care provided for that? There is? Okay. I'd get in trouble if I said there was, and Megan would kill me later if there wasn't. There's child care. She's like, I'll kill you. So there is, there is childcare from six to whenever it ends. Woo! Uh, so anyway, uh, definitely make it a point to come out to that. Like I said, open up to Luke chapter two. Uh, we're going to be wrapping up the DNA series, and here's how we're going to crash land the end of this series. We're going to like end the DNA series, but then we're going to take the next three Sundays to uh, to drill down a little more on a specific area of of our DNA. But it's not going to be like officially part of the series, but. Um, we're, we'll, we'll talk more about that next week. Um, but this morning, I, I want to talk to you about uh, forming the next generation and, and, and the next generation. I think it's a pretty appropriate Sunday to do that, seeing as we had a milestone presentation this morning uh, and kids going into first, second grade, receiving Bibles and, uh, you know, starting on this kind of like different adventure in grade school. And we want to make it a point as a church to engage and, and, and help the next generation follow Jesus just like all of us are. And if not, set them up better for better success. Amen? I, I think that's something that's near and dear to us as a church family. Um, and we, we've, uh, like I said, we practice these milestones, uh, but really it's not just these like one-off uh, things where we, we give next generation stuff some lip service. We have some amazing volunteers that are serving uh, to disciple children on Sunday mornings. If that's you, can you just put your hands up? Where's my kidsman team at? Don't be shy. Put your hand really high in the air. We've got a few of them in the room. Give them a big hand, will you? Give them a hand because they do a lot of work and... Um, and, and we, need, we need more of you to say, I want to serve on Sundays to do this so I can be a part of it. So shameless plug for our kidsmen team. Uh, yeah, yeah, Megan, both the Megans are over there. It's really confused having two, confusing having two Megans that do kidsmen stuff. So when I say, Megan said this about kidsmen, a lot of times I get like, which one? So I have to use their full names all the time in conversation unless I'm talking to one of them about the other. Uh, but anyway, uh, all that to say, like, we, we need your help. But here's the other thing is, and we're going to get into this in the message today, the responsibility to disciple and shape and form our children is not solely rested upon our kidsmen team. Okay, this is a what I call a group effort. It's a parental effort. There are different layers of responsibility that each of us have to play in the lives of every single one of those children that were on this stage this morning. 
and the ones that are not here today, and even the, the youth as well. Like there is a responsibility that we each have to play when it comes to transforming and forming and shaping the, the walk with Jesus of every single young person in this room. Now you might walk in, maybe you're new today, maybe you've been here for like a, a hot minute, and, and you're like, I don't know them, I have no responsibility. Just wait, it'll all make sense very clearly. Uh, because I promise you, as much as we're talking about kids, if you don't have kids, your kids are much older and they don't live nearby, this is a relevant message to you because we all have a role in serving and forming and shaping uh, the discipleship life of our children. Uh, just to kind of frame this message, I, I want to give you an insight on, on some data uh, that's uh, from the United States on, on how our kids are doing right now. This is just a, a quick drop in. If we could go to that next slide. Uh, these are the rates of adolescent depression. If you notice, since 2012, especially among girls, this number has skyrocketed. It is elevated among uh, boys, but it has skyrocketed since 2012 uh, among young women uh, and, and, and girls, adolescent girls. You can go to the next slide. This is the rates of suicide among adolescents since 2012. You notice uh, that particularly the, the young boys uh, girls as well, those numbers are elevated significantly. There's other stats and data I could show you. I, I've, I'm sure you've seen on the news, uh, there's more and more conversation around mental health issues, uh, especially with children, uh, but also with adults. Uh, there, there has been uh, an increasing concern in the well-being and the welfare of children. And young people. And, and, and I had a, a, a friend uh, recently, I just met with him this last week. He's pretty plugged in with many of the police departments uh, in the area. He, he, he works in a recovery setting, for, for in, in a, like an inpatient recovery setting. And, and he was telling me, man, people are targeting children because they're incredibly impressionable. They are, they are making now, you might not know this, but they are making little uh, like fentanyl uh, drug, drugs, fentanyl drug, they're making it in the shape of like little Lego toys to give out to like six-year-olds so that they're really excited about it. They're just giving it away for free. Halloween is a huge time for, for drugs and, and, and things like that. Uh, trying to get children hooked because they know they've got a new market if they can get children hooked really young. Now, I, I'm not trying to scare anyone in sharing this. It's really not my point. I don't think a fear-based kind of discipleship, like we're all afraid now, we need to disciple our kids. That's not healthy. Because what does the scripture say? Perfect love casts out fear. So, so this is not a, a fear-mongering thing. I'm not personally worried, but it's something we need to be aware of, of how are kids being shaped these days? Uh, those, those graphs are, are from a book that I read called The Coddling of the American Mind uh, uh, several years ago. And uh, one, of, one of the things that they note is that those spikes in, in depression actually correlate with when a, lo a lot of young kids were first starting to get smartphones. So, so there's a huge uh, connection. Uh, there's a woman who, who wrote a book called iGen uh, about this. She's, a, she's an expert in, in, so, uh, in, in psychology, around children's psychology with this. So there's a lot of things swirling around when it comes to kids, just to kind of paint a little bit of a picture for you. And at this same time, this is a time when less and less children are in church communities regularly. Uh, you know, they say... Uh, Correlation doesn't mean causation, and that's true, so I don't want to get too carried away with, well, this means that, and these are all connected, uh, which is reasonable. But at the same time, you can't imagine that that's good, 
that we have less people hearing about the hope of Jesus, the healing of Jesus, the freedom of Jesus, the restoration that Jesus wants to do in you and in your families and in your relationships and everything like that. There's less of that message being heard by people, by young people in our country at a time when there seems to be worse, more intense kinds of bondage and challenges and and things happening. And I'm sure you know stories and you could share stories from your own lives, from your own friends, from your own neighbors uh, that are painful stories, thinking about this, recounting ways that this is happening. And and so the question I have for us this morning around uh, issues of formation is this, uh, who do we want this next generation to become? Who do you want them to become? How are they being formed? Who are they becoming? Just think about it for a minute. When you think about kids today, I sound like an old man when I say that. Kids today. Ugh, just on my front porch in my rocker. You know. But think about it. Who, who do you want, whether it's your own children, whether it's the children of your friends, whether it's the kids you see here on a Sunday morning, kids you might know in your neighborhood, who do you want them to become? Who we are becoming is directly impacted by how our habits are forming us. These are all connected. If I, uh, you know, spend a lot of time in the gym, theoretically, I'm going uh, to maybe have stronger arms if I'm spending time doing that. But if I say I want to have stronger arms, but I never pick up arms and, and work them, or never pick up weights, arms, pick up arms, pick up weights... If I never pick up weights, do you hear what I'm saying? I want to have stronger arms, but I never do them. Or I'm like, man, I want more leg strength, but I never do those, what do they call them, leg presses? You can see how much time I spend in the gym. Leg presses, right? I want to have that, but I don't do the habits that are going to help me become that. Am I really invested in that as a vision for the future? What our habits are help teach us, help move us towards how we are being formed and towards who we are becoming. So a huge portion of our discipleship to Jesus as adults, as children, we're especially impressionable as children. There's a purpose for that. Like developmentally, we're being formed and shaped. So information is like a sponge for us when we're kids. Uh, Who we are in terms of our, our formation, our habits, the things that are being inputted into our lives Uh, it, It has to do with this idea of formation. Formation and how we're being formed into the likeness and image of Jesus because that's who we're following as Christians. So what is formation? Just if I can uh, shape this Christian formation, I, I, the, the definition that I always appreciated and I was taught that we're uh, being formed in, in, into the image of Christ for the sake of others. Becoming like Jesus for the sake of others. We're not becoming like Jesus so we feel good, but it's to extend the very love and loving nature of Jesus and service of Jesus out into the world. But we can only do that well when we actually become like him at a deep interior level. So I love this from Romans 12, uh, verse two. It says, don't copy the behavior and customs of this world. You can read into that habits. You can read into that lifestyles. You can read into that what, however you want to describe that. But let God transform you into a new person by changing the way you think. 
That word transform there, it's the Greek word metamorpho. We've talked about this before. That Greek word, it, it means literally be transformed, be completely changed into another likeness. We use the English word metamorphosis to describe the process of a caterpillar becoming a butterfly. It comes from this Greek word. It's a change that takes place from the inside out that changes the very fundamental nature of who we are. That's the kind of transformation that God wants to do in each one of us. So this is the idea. Our goal as followers of Jesus is to become deeply transformed by Jesus, radically different, in order to serve the world well. Now, how, how we are being formed is the question of our discipleship into Jesus. That's, that's probably the best discipleship question ever. Now, when I grew up, I grew up in the church. My dad was a pastor. And, and when I thought discipleship or heard discipleship, I just heard I needed to know more theology, memorize more scripture verses. And those are good, helpful things, but it needs to be in a framework of formation. I can know all that stuff, but the Pharisees all knew all that stuff, and Jesus didn't have very nice things to say about the Pharisees. So there's something else that's got to be happening in us and through us so that we can become who Jesus has called us to be. And, And this idea of formation becomes incredibly important when we think of children. As I said, children are like sponges, If you've got little kids or you see little kids, man, they just start mimicking everything you do at a certain age. That's how they learn. Like I stretch now in the morning and my one-year-old Phoebe, she just goes and like throws her hands up in the air when I'm stretching. She's just copying me. She's learning from my habits. She's learning from, from what I do. This is what children do. So this is why Proverbs 22.6 says this, direct your children onto the right path and when they are older, they will not leave it. Children are being formed by every little thing that happens around them. If you're a parent, that's the most terrifying thing you've heard all day. But it's also the most empowering thing you've also heard all day. What you and I do, and again, I don't mean just parents of little children in the room. What we do, just spending time this morning praying for healing as a community, that's teaching our children something. Huh, what are they doing right now? I took my daughter around as I was just going around to everyone who needed prayer and, and just, we just prayed. She didn't want to pray, but she's seeing me do it. Children are soaking up what's happening around them. So we need to train up children in the, in the way that we believe they should go. And when they're older, they will not leave it. Now, the caveat with the Proverbs, we don't have time to get too deep into it. Proverbs is kind of painting the ideal picture. If you do this, all these great things will happen. Now, we know life doesn't really work that way, but the wisdom underpinning that's still good. Proverbs is kind of like the ultimate, if everything were perfect, do this, it's all going to go this way and it'll be great. That's why it's balanced with the other wisdom books in the Bible. That's a, a sermon for another time. But you get the idea. It doesn't always work out that way. But the point is, when you do this, you're leaving an impression on your children that is shaping them and forming them for the future. And so how are we as a church shaping and forming the next generation to become like Jesus? Not become better people who go to the plant, not become better people who live in West Milford, but to become better people who are becoming like Jesus. So we got to think about things like how we behave around them, how we act. 
All those kinds of things go into our formation. The regular habits we have in our life as a church, what are the habits we have? What are the things we choose to put on our calendar? These are all things that are teaching our children something about what's valuable, what's important. So just a a few things I want to talk about when it it comes to forming the next generation. Uh, First, it's that forming the next generation, we need to do this with predictable patterns. If we're going to form the next generation, we need to have predictable patterns. Uh, You have Luke 2 open. Uh, We're going to read verse 41 and 42. It says this, every year... Jesus' parents went to Jerusalem for the Passover festival. And when Jesus was 12 years old, they attended the festival as usual. Two things are striking me there. You hear the custom. Do you hear the tradition that they had? What are some family traditions that you have or that you grew up with? Just shout them out. I love hearing these. What's that? Thanksgiving. What else? Christmas? Easter? What? What? Apple picking, that's what I'm talking about. Yeah, what are some unique family traditions you have? Like we do this every year. A white elephant gift. Ooh, I wanna get that family tradition going. Those are fun. What else? Sunday dinner. Birthday breakfast, yeah. Surprise, ooh, ooh. So is it a surprise if you do it every year? How's that work? Anyway, we'll, t- we'll talk later. I want to learn how to incorporate surprise vacation into my life. I like that. <laughs> That's great. But these are customs, traditions, and practices that you have in your life. As you, what are the things you do as a family, as a household, as an individual? What are the things you grew up with? If you have young kids or are just uh, creating a, a household with young kids, uh, you, you might be thinking, what are the traditions that we want to have? You might already have some. Some you have without even realizing it. Here's something important to remember. You're going to have practices and habits whether they're intentional or not. That's really important to understand. Everyone has habits and predictable patterns. You just have to zoom out enough to go, well, what do I do? You just want to make them intentional. So every year, Jesus' parents went to Jerusalem for the Passover. And they brought Jesus as they usually did. And, and, and this is really important for us to understand because Jesus is being shaped by not just an annual practice. They lived way up in the north in Galilee. They had to walk that journey. They didn't take a car. They didn't jump in an Uber to go to Jerusalem. They had to walk that journey every year. Can you imagine? Time to go again. Teenage Jesus. He, didn't, he, he wouldn't have done this because he's Jesus, but like, I'm not going get teenage kids and like we're going we do this every year and they're like I'm not doing this there's a really great thing a comedian does that I don't think is like appropriate for me to share from the pulpit but it, well, we can talk about it another time if you want to hear that story with his teenage kids it's really funny um, I don't feel like it's like podcast appropriate since this is recorded uh, but it's really hilarious um, anyway uh, I digress so what are the predictable patterns you have as a family is Sunday morning worship a predictable pattern for you and your household Whether you're an individual, whether you're married without kids, you're an empty nester, you have young kids, older kids, what are your predictable patterns? These things are shaping you whether you realize it or not. Your habits precede your formation. So here's what I mean by that. Uh, If I say, well, you need to love Jesus, you need to love Jesus, but you're never in Jesus-loving community, how much does your kid, like, really think that's true? You know what I'm saying? 
This is like one of those Sundays, by the way, where it's like, this is cutting to me the same way it's cutting to everyone else because I've got two young girls and I'm like, oh, I don't actually do that. I need to, if I'm gonna say that, I need to actually do that. And it's hard because children are like the greatest like lie detectors ever, right? They know if you're like for real or not. And they'll listen, well, sometimes they'll listen if you're for real. But if you're not, they're just like, I'm not wasting my time with that. Especially when they get to be like teenagers, they can smell it like a mile away, right? They know if this is authentic or not. Like, I'm not doing that. You don't do that. So what are your practices? We have a practice as a family. Uh, Friday nights, we shut down. It's pizza, ice cream. We ask each other around the table, what are we thankful for that God did this week? Harper usually just says pizza. But once in a while, she pulls something out and we're like, whoa. But we've been doing this with her since she could talk, maybe like at least a year and a half, two years. And now like Phoebe's there too and she's kind of getting it. She can't really talk yet. She'll just go, bah, or something like that when we ask her what she's thankful for. But they're habits that are shaping our desires. Did you know that you have to do a habit? You know, they say you have to do a habit for, was it 21 days? Before it becomes a, or excuse me, you have to practice something for 21 days before it becomes a habit, right? This is the same with our spiritual formation. And you notice it with it, whether it's exercise or getting up early or, or whatever the, the pattern or the habit is that you want to create. When you do it for a length of time, you start to kind of desire that. Your, your desire changes from I'd prefer to sleep in to I desire that time I get in the morning even more. And so habits shape our desires. So if we're trying to lead our children in, a, in, in something, we need to create predictable patterns because it begins to form and shape their desires. So uh, just a couple of really predictable patterns that are very uh, simple to, to grasp. Have a regular Bible or prayer time in your home. I think we have that on the screen, right? Uh, attending a life group together or Sunday morning or finding a Christian community that you can come together with regularly. Sharing a meal together at home. Do you know the statistics? Uh, these are just secular uh, social scientists and stuff. The statistics that connect uh, whether or not a family eats meals together and uh, promiscuity uh, for like young, young children in particular or adolescent children. And the connection between the families who do not have regular meals together in that is astounding. So my wife in particular is very like, we haven't eaten that many meals together this week. We're shutting this down. We need to do that. And so we try and be really uh, rigid about how many nights are, are people out a week. We, we need to guard that space and that time. And, and, and doing all that is gonna start requiring something of us as the grownups in the room, right? It's gonna start requiring that we don't just impose boundaries and, and limits on our children. That kind of means like we have to start having boundaries and limits. That's inconvenient for me. I like what I'm doing. I wanna keep doing it. But, but I have to change what I'm doing. And that, and that leads me to the, the second uh, uh, ingredient here in forming the next generation. And, and that's forming the next generation through shared responsibility. I'll explain how this connects in a minute. Let's look at that same chapter in Luke 2, the next two verses, 43 and 44. It says, after the celebration was over, they started home to Nazareth, but Jesus stayed behind in Jerusalem. They, his parents didn't know this, by the way. His parents didn't miss him at first because they just assumed he was among the other travelers. 
But when he didn't show up that evening, they started looking for him among their relatives and friends. Here's something that often gets missed when this story is talked about. Mary and Joseph assumed Jesus was with the rest of their community. This is really profound. Parents, you ultimately have responsibility to your children. But Mary and Joseph are like, oh, that's no problem. There's a whole community of people that are helping shape and deform little 12-year-old shape and form, not deform, uh, little 12-year-old Jesus. And we have, tr- we have this trusted community and we are together raising these children. Now, at the end of the day, they, he still needed to come back to Mary and Joseph. So that's why they're freaking out. But there's a shared role communally in discipling our children. Now, you might love that as a parent. You might hate that, like, get away. It takes a little vulnerability to do this, speaking as a parent. You know the nuclear family of just a single entity, mom, dad, and 2.5 kids, living under the same roof? That's a very modern concept. Did you know that? That's a post-World War II concept. Uh, This was something because of new wealth that was pumped in through the GI Bill and and allowing people to buy homes that previously were not able to buy homes. It created wealth in a way that didn't exist before. And so you saw people leaving multifamily living situations, multi-generational living situations, and moving out to Long Island or wherever the new development was being built to live in their little house with their 2.5 kids in the white picket fence. And and, and there's nothing wrong with you just living with your nuclear family in a household, but I think it's important for us to understand that for most of human history, humanity has understood the importance of intergenerational living and intergenerational community dynamics. That's why I love that like we don't just have younger people or older people in our church community. Like there's a lot of new churches that start and you just get a bunch of cool hip kids and they don't have any clue about life. And to have that mix of shared generations and shared experiences is so powerful when you're raising kids, let alone free babysitting. I'm just gonna say, it's really nice. And so because we've lived in these nuclear families, it's really changed our perception of how close other people are allowed to get in the discipleship of our children. And this is really important because this is not how we need to be discipling our kids. There is a shared responsibility. Just look around the room real quick. Look at the people who have kids, young and old. Go ahead, look, you're not looking. You're not looking. Go ahead, look. I was like, this isn't like rhetorical. Look around. There are some of you that are single. There are some of you that are married. Some of you have young kids, older kids. You're empty nesters. Uh, some of you are in all sorts of different life situations. You're, you're taking care of your parents. There's all sorts of different things happening now in this community. And, and we have a shared responsibility to disciple and form and shape the next generation. Collectively. Collectively, because that is where we begin to learn in a new way. It's, it's, it, this is the best part about it, too. It's a lot of not what kids are actually instructed in. It's the kids watching how you guys interact with each other. Ooh. How do you handle that conflict with someone you know at church? How do you handle that, that tension? How are you walking that out? 
What are your kids here, you talking about behind closed door after everyone leaves after life group? A lot of times, our children are going to learn more from how we are living than what we are saying to them or what we are instructing them in. Does that make sense? And that goes for all of you in the room, not just the ones that have children. How I do what I do is almost, in some ways, more important than what I actually do. Yes, we need predictable patterns. We need specific things that are helping shape and form our desires. But also, how I go about these things matters a lot. I could be really nasty towards my kids and say, you got to go to church. That's not going to communicate the thing that they need to learn about the love of Jesus even though they're going to church. You're going, but I can be a lot different in my approach about it, right? I can hear them and say, I know you don't wanna go. Sometimes I don't feel like going either. But we're gonna go together because it's good for us to do this. It's good for us to do things that we don't want to do. It's good for us to be with other believers. It's good for us to be together in community in God's presence. I know it's hard. I don't like it sometimes either. Sometimes that pastor says things that I just don't like. but it's good for us to be together. And they're learning so much. They're learning, wow, you can be with people you disagree with? How much is that needed in our culture right now? You can have love and forgiveness and, and kindness towards people who are, differ from you in so many ways? What is that teaching our children? We, we can have a, a ethnically diverse and culturally diverse body of believers and strive for more of that intentionally, what does that teach our kids? What does that teach our kids about God's kingdom? All of these things that uh, we, we can't be accidents. We, we want to be uh, very upfront about it. So all of these things matter for all of us if we're going to share in discipling children. And this brings me uh, to the, the point that I was making at the end of that first point, and this is, this is incredibly important. In order for us to demonstrate any of this to children, you and I have to be deeply committed to our own formation if we're gonna have anything to offer the next generation. If it's not in here, it's not showing up here. That's challenging. One of the biggest challenges I, I feel, even as a pastor, if it's not in here, I gotta be really careful with what I say from up here. And the same goes for you. It doesn't matter that I'm a pastor or not. If you're following Jesus, if it's not in here, how are you going to disciple someone who needs to walk in that themselves? It's like the blind leading the blind, Jesus says. Here's the, the thing about Mary and Joseph. This was their custom. They did this every year. They weren't taking Jesus to temple because, it, well, it's good for him. We want him to be in church. They were there for them, first and foremost, so that they had something to instruct Jesus in. So some of you started going to church or came to church because you're like, we, we need to have our children around something of faith. You had a sense that this was important, maybe. I, I hear that story from people a lot. That, well, I didn't go to church, but we had kids and we, we need to come back. We, we're just like, we feel like, and, and I want to applaud that because you're sensing like there's something more here. 
There's something, there's something about this kind of community that I want instilled in my children. So I want to encourage you now, if that's you, or if that's kind of where you're at, or your head's at, I want to encourage you even to take that next step and now see why are you here for your own growth, for your own discipleship to Jesus. Because if it's in here, I guarantee you, your children will begin to walk in it. So we need to do our own work if we're going to have anything to offer the next generation. And folks, that does not just go for those who have little children in the room or teenagers in the room. If you are in the room, if you say the plant church is my church, you are actively a part of forming the next generation. Because sometimes my children will be around you, not around me, especially as they get older. What are they gonna see? Who are they gonna become? Be people of Jesus. Not perfect, not have it all figured out, but people who are learning to walk in it and understand, oh, I have to take this stuff seriously for me, for the rest of the community, for the next generation. Let's go to the next uh, one. This is the the, the final uh, ingredient here in shaping the next generation. We need to be shaping the next generation with kingdom perspective. Um, uh, <laughs> there was a, a uh, old Bill Cosby stand-up special, and he has this, maybe you've heard of this. Uh, he he did this thing about uh, his kids having brain damage. He didn't really, they didn't really, but, but, but the joke was that, you know how kids will, will, will do something, and you're like, hey, I told you not to do that. Why'd you do that? And they're like, I don't know. You know how kids do that sometimes? And, and, and you're just like, and so he had this whole thing about it that I, that I, I remembered, and it's, it's so true with kids. Sometimes they just do something, and you're like, why'd you do that? I don't know. Isn't that true? Especially when they're younger, even when they're teenagers. And, and the thing is, is that, Little kids, teenagers, all of that, um, we're incre- they're incredibly impressionable because they're still literally developing. Most uh, humans' brains don't fully develop until like 25 or 30. Did you know that? So if you're under like 25, be patient with yourself. You're not done yet. Even when you're older than that, you're not done yet. Be patient with yourself. But there, there are uh, clear, like, developmental things for, for children that are happening at each of these stages. And I'm not going to go through all the stages here um, this morning. But we, we need to understand that uh, little children are, are seeing the world very differently than a mature adult is seeing the world. Uh, little little bursts of anger, for example, are magnified in the world of a little child and, and have way more significance than something you're gonna be like, that was a thing that you might say as an, as an adult, uh, as for example. But also, the things that we do in our kids' lives when, when, when they're little, they have massive, massive uh, ways of instructing and empowering them because they're just impressionable and they're learning. Uh, they're, they're soaking in so much of what you were saying and doing uh, through, through your life. I have a, a memory of when I was a kid and, and my dad, when he was pastoring, uh, we, we were not uh, financially very secure. It was always sketchy. The church was, was always struggling, different churches he was pastoring. And, but I remember he was so faithful to put his tithe check in the offering every single paycheck. 
so faithful. And you know what? He knew that he needed to instill that in his kids. And so you know what he did once? I, I remember this so clearly. I was maybe, I was a young kid. This, this is one of those moments that you don't know how this is gonna affect your kids when you share it with them. I still remember it clearly as if it happened yesterday. And, and he called us into his office after church and he said, I want you to know we didn't have the money for tithe today. I didn't know how we were gonna pay the mortgage. I didn't know how we were gonna get groceries this week. And I dropped our check in the offering. And I dropped it in and said, Lord, I trust you. And then he said to us, and he's got tears in his eyes as he's telling us, he held up a check that someone in the church felt led to write to him, just as a gift, just to bless the pastor, for at least, I think it was at least or more of the amount that he had just dropped in there. And those kinds of moments, it might not be as miraculous at that, but these moments when you are an adult with a child, you have to have kingdom perspective because you don't know what you could do or say or offer in that moment that could shift the trajectory of that child's life. What's your kingdom perspective when it comes to being with little children, working with little children? I'm gonna be honest, is your kingdom perspective with not serving in kids' men because, well, I don't wanna miss what God's doing in here. That might've dropped a little heavy, but I'm gonna say it. Well, I don't wanna miss here. This is where I need something in here. God's doing something here. I wanna challenge you, if, if that's in there at all, let's adjust our kingdom perspective a bit. What's God doing in that room back there right now? I'm not saying devote four Sundays a month to being back there, but plug in. What could God do with you and through you there? How much are those kids gonna teach you about following Jesus? Jesus said this in Matthew 4, 17. Repent. Repent of your sins and turn to God for the kingdom of heaven is near. This was Jesus's language to describe God's rule and reign being present and happening. And in God, anywhere God's at work, anywhere God is doing this, Jesus would demonstrate the kingdom. So healing would happen like we heard testimony about this morning. Demons would be cast out. The dead would be raised. The poor would be cared for. Enemies would be loved and forgiven. This was the kingdom of God at work. And so Jesus was calling all people to repent because this activity of the kingdom was close and happening. And we needed to start reorienting the way we see the world to see it from a kingdom perspective. How have you fallen out of that kingdom perspective? And Jesus is calling you to repent this morning and come back into it. How has he called you to step aside from that old way of thinking and step into the new? How do you need to adjust your kingdom perspective? How do you need to see the input opportunity that you have with children, whether you have kids of your own or not? How do you need to see that opportunity differently? What's the challenge that God's putting on your heart this morning? We're gonna skip that next slide that you guys have on there just so you know. Um, and I just want to say this, we're going to, we're going to close in, in just a minute, but before I have the team come up, I, I just want to ask you this question. What is Jesus calling you to step into this morning? Are there predictable patterns that need to change? 
in your life. Maybe, maybe your patterns are predictable, but not intentional. And you need to make those patterns intentional. Have you been seeing yourself as not really responsible to the next generation at all? And Jesus is saying, you've got to think about this as shared responsibility. There's something God wants to do in and through your life with the children in this church, the young people in this church. Have you gotten away from a kingdom perspective and you're not seeing this input into the next generation the way that God does? How's God challenging you to repent? Here's, here's the great encouragement with kids. If you are an overwhelmed parent hearing me going, pastor's asking me to do another thing. My to-do list is already too long. How am I gonna do this? Uh, I love how one pastor put this kind of thing. Uh, this is not an invitation to do more. It's an invitation to do less. It's an invitation to start weeding out the habits in your life that need to go. As a family, as an individual, to begin to reorient your life around predictable patterns that help form and shape the next generation. Another encouragement for you is even parents, you can try your hardest and sometimes kids don't turn out the way you thought, right? Here's the encouragement. You are responsible to your children. You're not responsible for your children. Now that's a shift that most of us never have learned. I'm responsible for my kids, Man, from the moment of conception, you've lost control. My wife and I say that all the time. Like, we, we conceived kids, and now, we, we're all adults here, come on. We, we conceive kids, and then we don't know what's gonna happen. We, is this pre, modern medicine? Sure, most likely they're going to be born, but that's not even a guarantee. What, what they choose to do, no matter how I instruct them, isn't a guarantee. So that's why you're not responsible for your children. Thank you, Jesus. But you are responsible to your children. If you do not have children in the room or they're older and not here, you are still responsible to the children of this church. You're responsible to walk in a manner worthy of the calling you've been called. As Paul put it in Ephesians. You are responsible to become more like Jesus, to have something in here to offer here. The things you are in control of is what you are responsible for. And that creates responsibility to these children. So I want you to understand that the Holy Spirit is here this morning as we have sensed his presence with us. He's here to empower you to help form and shape the next generation like you never thought was possible. Yeah? You might have a spirit-inspired imagination popping into your brain right now. Wow, really? I could be a part of that? I could do that? What could that be like? Let God just stir that up. You might see something as a family or as a married couple going, or as a single parent, and you're going, oh, you know what? We're gonna have to say, start saying no to this, this program or this activity. It's actually getting in the way of predictable patterns that we need to shape and form our family. Or you might need to look at some of those differently and say, we need to look at these as missional opportunities to reach people with the gospel. We, we might need to take a season of doing way less so that we can do the work that needs to be done in here. What's Jesus calling you to this morning? What's he challenging you to this morning? I'd like the worship team to come up.
we're going to close. And we're going to take communion in just a minute. But I want to give you a chance as we It was great having you with us today. We do hope that this sermon inspired you to know Christ and make him known. For more sermons and resources, please visit us at theplantchurch.org.